Forgive me if I rhyme, but it's our time. Time to get everybody up off the sideline. No more second guessing what's next. Authentic narratives on the Hendel Media Project. Um, so welcome everyone to the Hendel Media Project. Uh, this is the show where I like to find interesting uh, people on social media that want to talk about immigration reform and have great immigration reform conversations, uh, authentic conversations. And, you know, a few weeks ago, Manuela, um, I saw that you had written an article and you were also posting very interesting things on social media. So I just <laughs> wanted to have the opportunity to connect um, and, yeah, just have a great conversation. So how are you doing? I'm doing good tonight. A little tired, but aside from that, everything's good. Awesome. Well, I'm glad you're making the time to uh, connect with all of us uh, watching. Um, so first of all, you know, congratulations on this New York Times story. Um, Thank you. I, I think that, first of all, the image that you had there, I think it was, um, what, what was it? I love tacos. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it was a very, uh, it was a very compelling image to have uh, in the New York Times article in addition to your story. But um, can you tell me a little bit about the reaction to your story? Because when I looked at the comments underneath your story, everybody was very excited for you. Um, yeah. And you had great reaction. Can you, can you tell me about that reaction that you got to your story? Um, yeah, most of it was pretty, you know, neutral, positive, because I surround myself with people who kind of have the same ideas on immigration and things like that. So I didn't necessarily expect any, you know, anything negative. Mm -hmm. um, the better responses were on Facebook, I think, because I have people who shared the story. And, you know, Facebook, in my opinion, is a little more of like a, like a drier, more conservative crowd. So I did get people who in the shared post would ask, oh, what's DACA? What's this? And I was mm -hmm. like, perfect. This is you know, what we want. Cause then I answered questions and they heard it from me as opposed to, you know, fake media or whatever else. So it was nice to have conversations where people were like, Oh, that's interesting. So what does it mean to have DACA? Like what, how can you get DACA? What, what happens for you after? And yeah, so it was pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, I think that sometimes when we talk about immigration reform, we talk to people who are in our own circles um, so even if, you know, the DREAM Act was like the hot thing in 2010, even in 2017, people still don't know what DACA is. Um, people still don't know what immigration reform is. And it's always great exactly. to, to talk to someone who like has actually experienced some of it or is uh, going through it. Um, so tell me about this process, about this article. I'm, I'm interested to know uh, what made you want to put your story out there. Um, and have you shared your story before? Um, I actually haven't because precisely because when I did have DACA, there's always, you don't really know what can happen. And I always had that fear, you know, oh, what if someone finds out or like an employer sees or who knows? And, you know, I get in trouble for it. Or mm. when I was younger, I thought, oh, they'll take away my ability to be here. I'll get deported if I talk about it. So I, I tried to keep anything related to my immigration status pretty quiet. Mm. But um, now that I actually um, finished my whole DACA process, I do have my green card. I'm a resident as of... I think March 2014, I became a resident. Okay. So pretty recent. And um, after that, I was like, okay, I feel comfortable now. And, and having been through the experience, I thought it was important to share my story to let people know not just what DACA is, but I was hoping people who are under DACA would read my story and say, okay, well, you know, there's more to just this process. There's more that we can do. And, you know, once once we, we finish um, what we have to do with DACA, there's more we can do. We can get our, our green card. We can become residents. Mm. So there there's like a positive ending note to the whole process as opposed to just, you know, the dooming thought of, oh, it's going to get taken away from us. But mm. 
I don't know, just give, give people some hope that there's more to the story as well. Sure. So can you, can you tell me, uh, or like, can you take me through your story? You know, what, what was it like uh, being here from Venezuela? Um, can you tell, can you take me through that process? You know, just your story. Yeah. Um, so I came here when I was seven years old. So 2001, it was actually, I want to say it was a month before September 11th. So I'm, con I'm super convinced that if we had waited, you know, longer, I wouldn't be here right now. And I didn't come as an, uh, the plan wasn't to stay. My dad is, or was, he's retired now, but he was, uh, in the armed forces in Venezuela. So they have an exchange program where, an American family would go over there, and then we would go here for one year. So that was the plan. He was stationed um, at Lackland here in San Antonio, Texas. We were like, oh, okay, we're going to go, stay for a year, have our visas, we come back. Um, but during that year that we were here, uh, my parents decided to separate, actually. So with that process, my mom was like, okay, I think I'm going to want to stay. And then the political climate in Venezuela, which I don't know if you keep up with it. A lot of people don't. It's you know, But it's, it was getting pretty bad. You could see right. that things weren't going to you know, end well. So my mom was like, you know... I should risk it and just stay here, um, extended our visa stay. Um, and we were undocumented for, I want to say 13 years, maybe 12. Mm -hmm. So a long, a really long time. Could you tell me about that moment where you were told, you know, Hey, we're staying here now permanently. We're risking it. What, what does that do to you, um, at that age? Yeah, that's a really good question because it makes you grow up so fast. I knew that, um, I didn't really understand all the burden that would come with it. And I did have a, have a leg up in that. Um, I think it's important to like acknowledge our privileges, even within these groups where, yeah, I was marginalized, but I also already knew English. As you can tell, I have no accent. So that gave me a leg up with all my other, you know, other people who were immigrants. And so I knew that it was going to be difficult, but at the same time, I knew I wasn't going to have too hard of a time blending in and, you know, kind of faking that my situation was, Oh, just like everyone else. Um, so nothing really happened until, until I was in middle school in eighth grade. Um, we ended up going through like three different lawyers. And so the first lawyer we had was basically a big scam artist and we had a case open with immigration that happens to a lot of people. They always often. are. They know. I'll, I'll tell yeah. you, they, uh, within my Literally. family, within, <laughs> within everybody's family, there is always a lawyer a story. <laughs> that first steals from someone. So yeah. It sucks. It really sucks. And that's why... I mean, that's a whole other topic. I mean, I could talk for hours about that, but it's people think it's so easy to get your, they're, oh my gosh, just go and become legal. And I'm like, you don't understand the money that goes into that, the time. Not everyone can afford a lawyer. You know, even my mom had to borrow money. Like we, we don't have that kind of money. It just kind of happened. But, um, uh, through that process, I, um, the, the, the court case we opened fell through. And so we ended up getting a letter from immigration. It happened three different times. Um, that we were going to be deported. And literally the letter just said, you know, you have 30 days to to pack up your stuff and leave or you're going to be forcibly removed. And so when you're in eighth grade and all your friends are thinking about, you know, lip smackers and Hillary Duff or whatever, and you're right. over here like, oh, wow, I'm going to get deported, guys. I had no one to talk to. Mm. I didn't know anybody my age who was going through the same thing. Um, so it made me grow up really fast. It was very difficult. It's a lot of stuff that you keep bottled in. And I, you know, didn't want to talk to my mom about it because she already has that burden. I didn't want to fill her with my worries too. I just kind of would keep pretending like everything was okay, but it was difficult not being certain of what's going to happen. Sure. And, um, so where did you grow up in Texas? Because I, you know, when I speak to people from Texas, sometimes they, they have a community of folks that they can speak to. Uh, where did you grow up in Texas and how, how was it that, um, 
you know, you didn't really have that community or someone to talk to? Well, I'm in San Antonio. So now that I'm older and I like I'm in the community myself, I do. There are a lot of um, there's a lot of detention centers. There's a lot of like um, there's one called Casa that they, they even do free um, free uh, counsel with a lawyer to talk. But when at the time, my mom wasn't really involved in the community much, clearly, because we were undocumented and she was working under the table and things like that. Um, so what happened was that, um, I just wasn't aware of any of the, any of those things. And then I was so young that I didn't feel comfortable even reaching out to anyone for that kind of um, information because I wasn't sure their reaction, you know, what if I go to a friend and we're only in middle school? I mean, what if they're not mature enough to understand what exactly I'm talking about? And then they tell their parents and their parents are like, Oh my God, she's undocumented. We have to, you know, call someone. And then I get deported or something, or I go to my counselor and she's like, Hmm, uh, I don't know about that. And then she calls ice and then I'm like done. So right. I pretty much just kept it. I didn't reach out for any information either because I wasn't sure. So, so what is, um, you know, a lot, I like to talk about mental health a lot. And for myself, um, I've recently been working through like a year long depression. So mm-hmm. I, I like to, um, talk to people, uh, about depression and mental health, etc. Um, can you tell me what was your state at that time uh, emotionally um, and the toll that it must have taken on you? Yeah, for me, it was more um, it was more anxiety than anything. I personally have never experienced depression specifically, but I know my mom did, and she it's not something she talked to us about until we were much older, like in um, late high school. She she even discussed that she um, she had some some thoughts where she might have wanted to take her life at some point. Mm-hmm. And those were things that, you know, when I was younger, I never would have imagined because to me, she was like, you know, so strong. And, and which doesn't take away that she, she still is a strong person in my eyes, but I'm saying I, I saw her as more indestructible than that. So it was interesting right. um, seeing that vulnerability. And for me, it was just anxiety, nerves. I, um, I had a hard time trusting people because I didn't know what the reaction was going to be. Um, I did get bullied a few times um, throughout elementary school and middle school, and people found out that I wasn't from the U.S. They would call me all sorts of slurs that are specific to um, more to Mexican-Americans. But, you know, when they use it to, towards brown people, they see us all the same. So I, I knew, it, you know, I never said, oh, my God, I'm not. I just kind of took it and was like, gosh, OK, but. Well, let's let's go a little bit deeper into that because I have yeah. also experienced bullying. I have also experienced, um, and you know, sometimes you know, I have been on the other end where, in order to feel empowered, I myself like have had to, I felt the need to put people down. Um, so I definitely want 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 to hear about your experience. You know, you you're saying that people found out that you weren't from the U.S. And that they would bully you because of that. Can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Because, you know, as you see that in schools across America, um, these incidents are happening like yeah. blatantly at basketball games, at soccer games. Uh, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so basically, I, it, the thing was that at first, since I'm, I was never used to um, any sort of racial discrimination. I mean, clearly in Venezuela, people, we have our issues with racism as well, clearly in colorism, but everyone's more mixed so i mean it's a little more difficult to to face that discrimination unless you're you know extremely who knows indigenous or or looking or black for example mm-hmm. but um then when i got to the us i was pretty proud of my culture so i wanted everyone to know where i was from cuz i thought it was something interesting about me and i i thought people would 
want to know. And it started with little things like the kind of food I would pack for lunch when it was different than what the other kids would eat and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and at first it was like minor teasing and I could get over it, but, um, in reality, and I'll I'll admit to this, I'm pretty sensitive. So, Mm -hmm. um, it didn't take much to, to, to make me upset whenever it started intensifying. Um, when I would speak Spanish, it was a joke. Um, when I would wear certain things, like certain kinds of bags that were made a certain way or had certain symbols, it was immediately a joke, you know, oh, you're an illegal, you're a wetback, so on and so forth. I mean, but, but they, they were joking. They, they didn't know that you were truly undocumented. Um, no, no. Cause I, we were too young at that time. It wasn't mm. in high school was when I started being a little more open about that. Okay. And, um, I did face bullying for that, but only for about a few years until it started becoming something people would talk more about. And then at least people at my school specifically, because we had, um, actually my high school is, I think in San Antonio, the number one for accepting, um, we take in a lot of refugees. Okay. So when that started happening, we started getting, it wasn't Latino specifically, but a lot of people from Burma and from Saudi Arabia, things like that, mm-hmm. um, when that started happening and the school became more integrated, people became more open to, oh, okay, I see. So it's not such a bad thing to be. But um, I tried to keep the actual aspect of being undocumented a little more secretive because mm-hmm. that received uglier reception than than just finding out I wasn't from the U.S. I mean, I even, um, my sophomore year of high school, I even had um, a teacher, I think it was a chemistry teacher who um, we were talking about the topic and I mentioned, you know, oh, well, I'm, I'm undocumented because he was saying something about how undocumented people um, are damaging the economy, et cetera, that whole spiel. And I was like, well, you know, I'm one of those people in case you Mm. didn't know. And he just looked at me and continued saying, well, your people need to go back where you came from because you're not really helping us. And this is a a chemistry teacher. Yeah, in high school. It had had nothing to do with the topic. I don't know. I don't remember clearly how he brought it up Mm. or what, but... Ever since that moment, I thought, okay, well, this is something I should really keep to myself. Or there's people who don't take it seriously. Like I would say, oh, you know, I'm actually undocumented. And they would say really loudly, ha ha, so you're illegal. And then everyone would look and I'd be like, you know what? This is something I just can't tell people. (laughs) There's just no decent reception. No. And, and, you know, I'm, I, I don't think I've heard this like in the four or five years that I've been doing this type of work. Like I've never, you know. There's people who, they call it coming out, right? They come out as undocumented. And usually there's like, there's empathy and there's a community to support them. But you're telling me something different. You're telling me that you decided to be somewhat open about it. But the reception that you received was, A, you know, this chemistry teacher saying like, well, you need to go back anyway. And (laughs) and, uh, these students that you, that that knew, they, they immediately said ha ha you're illegal that's that's crazy i've never heard that so i'm glad i'm glad yeah. you're saying it i'm glad yeah 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 it was a joke i mean to me it was a serious topic i wasn't necessarily expecting people to you know to embrace me with open arms or do any kumbaya or anything We're, it's just very simple i mean i'm a human being and I'm, I'm, i just happen to be undocumented here and that's it just accept it for what it is you don't need to make a joke and then i would say you know i would appreciate it if you if you wouldn't call me illegal because I don't, I don't think that's an appropriate term and they would say ha ha it's just a joke whatever and i'm like jesus i mean nothing is taken you know everything was so breezy whatever a joke to them so I thought okay well hmm. so it wasn't until college that I actually started um meeting people who were understanding and and more 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 political about it you know understood the the whole concept of what it meant to be undocumented and how every day 
I mean, our existence here technically is political and, you know, what all that means and that it's not a joke and the implications and things like that. Sure. Um, so in your article, you, you spoke a little bit about um, there was a process for you to get to college. Mm. Um, can, you, can you tell me about that? Because it sounds like you have to do a lot of research and planning for that. Yeah. Um, it was actually even attending college at all was honestly such a miracle because when I was close to graduating high school, my idea was that. The thought I had was if I'm undocumented and I apply to college, I'm just not going to get in because I had understood that they needed. I've always had a social security number, but I thought they needed just more documentation than what I could provide. Like, I'll just leave it at that. But um, my mom, she was the one who encouraged me. She's very religious, you know, very typical of a Latina mom. And she just says, you know, have faith in God, whatever. Just mm -hmm. do what you need to do and it'll it'll all fall into place. And I was like, hmm, that doesn't I'm more of a realist. So I was like, I don't know. But then I thought, you know, what do I have to lose? So. Mm -hmm. Um, even though I didn't know if I was going to actually make it to college or not, I knew right off the bat, you know, I'm undocumented. I'm not going to get much money for this. So I should milk this public school system the best I can. So I started taking all these AP classes, even for things I didn't need, like even economics, for example, I hate economics, but I thought, why not have that credit just in case, you know? And lo and behold, it ended up saving me when I got to college that I graduated a whole year earlier because I had all those credits with me and I didn't have to pay that money. But uh, I applied to uh, 12 different schools, not because I had the money, but because through the free lunch program that public schools have, okay. I got waivers for all that. So I planned everything. I knew I was like, listen, I'm broke. I can't. I didn't pay for my SATs or ACT either because I qualified for that program. Mm -hmm. um, other things I hope that they don't get rid of because they're very helpful for kids like me. But um, so I applied to 12 schools. I got rejected to all of them except for the private ones. Right. Um, because ironically enough, well, yeah, the private ones, since they're privately funded, they have more leeway with the kind of students they can accept. Um, my number one school, uh, was Rice and they wouldn't take me without, um, presenting a, uh, an alien number. Um, and then UT as well was my number two. And they told me, listen, and I got in an argument over the phone with them because they waited till the last second to let me know that I didn't have, um, a green card on file, even though I specified that I didn't have one. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, you know what? That's fine. I'm done. But, um, yeah, it, it, it took a while. I ended up, I graduated from St. Mary's, which is here in the, in the city. And they have a really, they have a whole uh, department dedicated to helping students apply for DACA and um, oh, wow. undergo that process. Yeah, they'll pair you with lawyers. They have pamphlets that walk you through what is DACA, how can you qualify. Mm -hmm. They'll help you, you know, fill out your application. And um, if you need a, if you need to redo it to reapply, they help you with that as well. So it was a really nice community to have been a part of um, a very, interesting experience because I didn't go to a big school. So my average class was like 15 to 20 students. Mm -hmm. um, all of my professors knew my situation. They all knew me by name. Um, I had a one-on-one -on -one relationship with the people at the, um, the financial aid office. Um, pretty much every semester I was, you know, working towards getting more scholarships and things like that. And there was one semester where they even helped me through, um, I believe it was like a alumni funds um, I owed $3,500 and I had no clue. I had no ability to pay. And, and, you know, after talking with them and expressing to them, you know, I'm a student who's serious and this is what I do, whatever, they helped me pay all of it off. And I ended up paying 31 cents one semester. Wow. Um, so all things that I consider to be literal miracles, because I have no clue to this mm -hmm. day, like how I was able to um, get through college um, with no financial aid, um, just basically private scholarships and, of course, working. Um, which was difficult the first few years because it was um, under the table. So I had to 
kind of go to school full time, but then also work. I was a waitress. I was a hostess. I did all those, um, not fun jobs. And, um, and then when I got my residency, I was able to work on campus, which helped a lot, but so it was a decent experience and it was a, a, a good, a good way to kind of, um, meet other people who were in my same situation, but also kind of expand on my experiences and, and push myself out there and see what I can mm-hmm. do. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like once you got to college, you found this community that you, yeah. that you didn't have before. Um, so while, while this community was supporting you and helping you and building you, um, when you looked out towards the politics of the immigration debate outside of, you know, your community, and I'm talking nationally, uh, what would go through your mind as you saw, you know, different states with shifting, like, support for DACA students or for immigration reform or even coming from the national level? Um, yeah, my, my main thoughts were just, you know, it's amazing to me how how uneducated people are on the subject. That was my main thought, even hearing... Um, comments from from politicians themselves who I, who you would assume you know mm-hmm. if they're gonna speak on something they they should very well know what they're talking about but saying like things who? that were um, I'm trying to think of one in particular there was one who said that the government pays for DACA students to go to the college but I, I don't remember if it was All right. wasn't it I think wasn't it the Arizona Arizona uh, Jan Brewer Governor Jan Brewer maybe. I honestly I this was a few years back. <laughs> sure. All I remember was one thing that stuck with me was. Um, I was watching a debate and there was someone asked a question regarding that topic. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people really do think that the government pays for us to go to college mm-hmm. as DACA students that were basically cradled like, oh, you get DACA and then everything's paid for you somehow. I And that's some, like from that point on, I was like, man, people just really they just don't understand. And I know that in my opinion, this country has a big issue with fear of the unknown, um, which is, I think, most of the the issue with minorities. Um, not all of it, but most. So it would be, I mean, it was something that stressed me out, really, how difficult is it to reach out to try and find, you know, someone who's been through this experience as opposed to just making assumptions off of some broadcast on Fox News. I mean, I can tell you from firsthand experience, the government didn't pay anything for me. I mean, if they had, I would be living a more comfortable life, but um, I wish they were that easy. So I think that that frustrated me and this idea, you know, that we're taking jobs or, or whatever right. it is and and I mean, I wish it were that simple, but it's just not, you know, there it's, there's layers to it. And I see that people, it's annoying politics. It, it is. I mean, it, it's really nitpicky and it's really specific and it's, it's like an onion with all these layers. But if you really want to understand, you have to just, I mean, dissect through the whole thing and really understand before you go and say these things. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I started the show because I think it's so important for, you know, it's one thing to read your story in the New York Times um, and, you know, just read a, a couple of paragraphs. But I want people to see that this is an actual person that's saying like, man, like, I don't have it that easy. Yeah. Like, what are you talking about? Like, this this is difficult. Like, I, I had to go through college and it was a miracle. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely appreciate um, hearing your voice both on social media and here. Because, you know, I, I definitely love your social media presence. You have a very, <laughs> you're, you're very opinionated. And, and I definitely love that you, um, you have such hot takes on everything. So um, <laughs> thank yeah. you. Uh, so, so tell me a little bit about after college. Um, I think I read that you had been working as a social media coordinator. You had been working yes. for a uh, Latina based um, organization. T- tell me mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. So that was another really cool experience. Um, probably something I'm actually moving on to a new job. Mm-hmm. I start uh, later this week. Congratulations! But, I mean, 
thank you. But with this past job, I mean, I'm, I'm never going to forget them ever. I, um, I had planned to go to graduate school immediately after graduating, but unfortunately, um, without right now I have a, um, I have a Venezuelan passport and because things in Venezuela are just a mess, going to the consulate is nothing gets done. So long story short, I have an expired passport. My plan was to go to study abroad in Brazil because it's a little cheaper and I speak Portuguese, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Um, it ended up not working out and I was unemployed and I was freaking out because I'm the first one in my family to, um, go to college and, and do this whole experience outside of Venezuela. So mm -hmm. my mom couldn't help me too much cause it was a little different. She didn't know. And I didn't know either. I was like, okay. So I started applying to jobs like crazy. I think I was spending my whole day basically just on indeed and on different sites and applying to maybe like 30 jobs a day. And I was getting no callbacks and it was stressing me out. So finally, um, I applied to this company. They're called Emprendedora, and they're a um, multicultural marketing agency. Mm -hmm. um, really small, uh, six years old, and there's only three employees. Um, and now that I'm leaving, there's only two. Um, everyone else is freelanced. But basically, um, they they contacted they contacted me on the spot, sent me an email. We set up an interview. My boss, her name is Sandra Obregón. She's one of the coolest people you could ever meet. Shout out, Sandra. Um, yes, she she's awesome. She um. She is a Mexico native, but I believe she's been living here basically her whole life. Um, her husband is also from Mexico. I can't remember what state. Um, I can't remember. But uh, she started this company all by herself. She used to work for um, Bromley, which I believe they don't, they're not in service anymore, but they were the largest um, marketing agency geared towards Latinos. Mm -hmm. So she runs this company by herself. The receptionist is also Mexican-American. It was really cool because even though there's not a lot of Venezuelans in San Antonio, I have to give a shout out to the city because the the Mexican culture, the Mexican-American culture, like the whole Tejano thing, I mean, it's in my opinion, it's embraced me. And even though, even though I always wanted to have more Venezuelan people around me, being surrounded by, by so many Mexican-American people, it makes me feel warm and comfortable. You know what I mean? Like okay. hearing the Spanglish, hearing, eating, eating tacos or anything. It just makes me feel okay. Like, you know, there's other Latinos, like I'm not alone. You know, I feel comfortable being myself. Right. And, um, my boss also made me feel that she always shared parts of her, her culture with me. And she would ask me about, you know, what's Venezuela? Like, what do you guys do? What don't you do? So, um, a very neat experience working for her. Um, I'd never done social media work before, but, um, I worked for the newspaper, um, at college. So I was like, you know, maybe I can take some of those skills, um, worked out pretty well. Um, I worked for the, our client was the children's hospital, of San Antonio, which is a pretty big, a big, um, big entity in the city. And, um, I got to meet a lot of people, um, all women, which was also really nice. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, it's been, really a great experience only a year but a really great experience cool um yeah and i think also the um you just touched on having um successful women around you yes. um you know hopefully empowering each other uh and you seem to be really big on that you seem to be really big on uh, female empowerment uh yes. <laughs> t t tell me where that spirit comes from and I think it's just, you know, being from a, from a single parent household, a single mom, you, you see things differently. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I can't sit here and say that, you know, my, my dad wasn't there for me. It, it's a little more complicated than that. He wasn't able to come back here because of immigration issues. Mm -hmm. Um, but even still just seeing my mom persevere literally against all odds, I'm talking, she actually has her, um, she's a lawyer in Venezuela. Like she has her master's, the equivalent but unfortunately, when she came here, her title doesn't translate. So she started off working 
um, at HEB as a, which is a grocery store as a deli meat cutter. So imagine being a lawyer, you know, and, and working criminal law and things like that. And then going from that, you know, job to cutting me at HEB, you know, under the table and things like that. So just seeing her pull through that, you know, for my sake and for my brother, I always thought to myself, no matter what happens, I have to, you know, I have to make something of myself, not just for me and for my well-being in the future, but just because there's no way that she made the sacrifice, you know, to come here in vain. There's no way that she, she was 34 years old when she came here. She left her whole life, you know, her mom, my grandma, her entire family, everything she knew, none of us spoke English. She came here and quite literally did the most sacrificial thing I've ever seen anyone do in real time um, and started from literal scratch. And even though we didn't, necessarily have a lot of money and I didn't have a dad and you know she did, I didn't have the complete stereotypical family support system she somehow always made it work um every Christmas I didn't I never felt like I needed anything you know um the holidays I mean I just never felt like I felt you know like I had a good family unit and I she always made sure that we weren't lacking anything and um and I think just seeing her persevering seeing her do those things inspired me and, and lets me know you know as women we we have a lot within us to kind of excel and to be our own people. And Mm -hmm. I know sometimes, especially my social media presence, it does. And I have friends tell me this, do you hate men? And I I don't hate men. I really don't. It's just, um, sometimes it's joking with the things I'm saying, but it's, I mean, that's a whole other topic, you know, the culture of, especially as, as Latinos, the whole patriarchy concept and machismo Mm -hmm. and things like that. But since I've grown up mostly around women, that's, Mm -hmm. that's the image that I hold myself to, you know, being a strong woman, being independent, um, being surrounded by women like that um, really does give me the the fuel I need to to remind myself that I can do mm-hmm. the things I want to do. Yeah, no, I mean I think it's awesome. I mean for myself, um, my mom left behind a promising medical career in Ecuador. Um, my father was undocumented um, for a number of years, traveling back and forth between Guatemala. So so it's definitely you know uh, the sacrifice that our parents make. And, you know, yeah. with, with my mom giving up her promising future in medical education, there's, you know, you feel this, this responsibility and also this awe that your parents um, made the sacrifice. So, exactly. yeah, so, so, I mean, I'm definitely glad uh, to learn that that's where you get your energy from. Uh, so we're down to the last 10 minutes. Um, okay. These interviews always go so fast. But uh, <laughs> so uh, talk to me about your artwork at Guava Doodle. I uh, I took a look at it on Instagram. Oh really? Okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> Talk to me about it. Because um, I love I love promoting people's products. I love promoting you know their work. Okay. Um. So I'm for everybody watching. I'm going to put a link in the video. Um. So you could go to her store. So uh, yeah. Talk to me about where it all started. Um. I've always been really into art. Um. I mean, I I like the I majored in international relations and I like journalism. But but my passion passion the main passion has always been art. Um, unfortunately, given like, you know, the typical circumstances, financial, I knew, you know, I, I can't go to art school. It's very, I applied. It's very expensive. The one I wanted to go to was like $76,000 a year, which is, I mean, impossible in my, in my circumstance. Um, so I thought, okay, well, I mean, I can always make art a hobby and just kind of never let it go and see if it goes somewhere. So, um, I had the idea to just start, start the guava doodle thing as a, as a commission space kind of thing. I thought, oh, maybe I can put my artwork on there, sell some prints, um, eventually make, make enough money to maybe, um, have a little studio and start doing more hands-on things. I used to paint a lot, but that requires a lot of time and a lot of money. Mm -hmm. So I stick to illustrating because it's a little more simple paper and pen and, um, and it's just as fun to do anyway. So, um, it started more 
as a, as a, as a personal thing. And then eventually I was like, you know, maybe I should make it a public Instagram and see how people, how people like it. If, um, if it's like something worth exploring and, um, a friend actually helped me come up with the, um, the logo and everything. I love fruit so much. And I was like, you know, guava is like such a good fruit. Why don't I just name it that? And then doodle is one of my favorite words. I have a thing with words that have two O's for some reason they okay. bounce. So I don't know. It sounded cool to me. So I was like, okay. And, um, he did the design and I was like, all right, this, this is gonna, this is gonna be the thing. So, um, it's been pretty cool so far. I mean, I have had people contact me, um, more frequently, um, from all over the world, they'll send me emails. Oh, can I have this print? Can you mail it here? And I'm like, that's really cool. Like to connect with people and see What's, like the most unexpected, like place you received an email from like, um, probably Germany. There was some guy who, um, who he's a, he's a very small artist, a rapper, a startup rapper, I guess you would call it. And he mm-hmm. wanted me to do, um, album cover for his new EP or something. And Whoa. yeah, I was like, wow, Check you that's, out. Whoa. that's pretty interesting. <laughs> like who would have thought, you know, yeah. some random, and I was like, which, which piece did you see that you liked? And he was like, Oh, the, I think one of my hip, the Andre 3000 one. And I was like, Oh, that's one of my favorites. And, uh-huh. and it's pretty cool seeing how it reaches people. And you don't, you don't see these things, you know, but, but I mean, it's out there and it's making rounds. So awesome. Well, um, Cool. So uh, people just uh, they can. Ju- uh, what's the process to like order and like um, or to send requests, etc. Um, if you go on the Instagram and you hit contact, it gives you my email. So that would be the better way to reach me is through email. But right now, um, for I think for the next few months, I have commissions closed. But pretty much anything I have on the page, you can order. Like just let me know. I need to know just the size, basically, and the address. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, so in the last five minutes, um, I want to go back to, you said that you have received your residency, correct? Yes. Cool. Uh, so tell me, because I think, you know, sometimes, I mean, there's a lot of confusion between different programs and different like regulations, et cetera. Um, so DACA is only a temporary protection. Mm-hmm. Um, how, how are you able to get your residency from DACA? Um, I wish I knew more of the details. I'm going to tell you what I do know because it happened when I was, the whole process began when I was really young. So the lawyer, I mean, she talks more to my mom than me, but from what I have understood, we had a case open with immigration anyway, before DACA was even implemented. Mm. So when that happened, the lawyer was like, you know, let's, let's put him here. Let's sign him up. We registered, we got in, but there, there was already in the background, you know, a process we had begun already for our residency. Oh, I so see. I think. I think DACA helped speed it up because it it further proved, you know, our our um, the fact that we were students and all those other things that they want to see. So it, it kind of pushed it up. So okay, uh, yeah. I mean, I think definitely you you are one of the lucky ones. Yeah. Um, who unfortunately at this time uh, things are getting pretty difficult for a lot of people. What would the, and you know I've asked this before. What advice would you give to people right now who? are beginning to lose hope or are in set for some troubling times, um, what advice would you give them? I would tell them to just, if they have some sort of faith to cling to it, to cling to their family members, to focus on what they can do right now. I know when you think about the big picture, which is a horrible habit that I have of doing of overwhelming myself with, you know, 10 years from now, 20 years, just man, take it one day at a time. Um, we're not exactly sure yet what's going to happen, you know, to a T when January 20th comes around and, and on, ongoing from that. So let's just take it one day at a time. Um, let's continue, you know, joining these grassroots movements to kind of help people out, get people together, um, 
know your resources, know your rights, know who your contacts are, who you can call for assistance. And if you're in school, if you're studying, keep going to school, keep doing your thing, keep excelling at what you guys are doing um, on school or out or any other projects. And, and I feel like things will work themselves out. And there's no way that, you know, we're, we're going to go without a fight. Even people like me, just because I have my residency doesn't mean I'm done. You know, I'm not an immigrant anymore or whatever. I will always I mean, it's who I am, and I, I, I had DACA, and it's never going to go away. So I'm, you know, people like us, like me, are also out here speaking on behalf of, of you guys who still have DACA, and I don't think it's the end of the road, and, and they're going to, you know, kick you guys out or us out that easily. Great. I mean, very inspiring words. Uh, so to wrap up, you know, I definitely, um, I just like to, like to ask, you know, you, you have so much going on. You know, I, I'm definitely, you know, I definitely admire all the work you're doing, and I am, you know, big fan of your story. Uh, what's one one thing you wish people knew about you? Um, just something you wish people knew about you, about your work, about who you are. Oh, that's that's a really difficult question. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I can, I, can I narrow it down to just one sure. thing? Sure. Oh my god, I don't know. Oh, that's or really like, hard. Or like if somebody met you, <laughs> what's one one thing you wish that they would walk away from you knowing? Okay. Um, I guess something that I do like for people to know is that I'm a person who likes to persevere. I'm not necessarily a perfectionist. I'll be upfront. I like to put in my best effort, but I'm not necessarily a perfectionist, but I do like to push past hurdles. I mean, I'm a very, I'm a person who pushes to succeed if I have to. I mean, I, I try to be as positive as possible and look past. I mean, that's how I got where I am today. Many times I was potentially let down or set up for a letdown, but I was like, you know what? I have to just keep moving forward, take it a day at a time. And just basically, I put myself in a mindset that if I want to accomplish something, oh, I've already accomplished it. When I applied to this job, I was like, okay, I've got the job, even though I wasn't there yet. But I just try to keep that mindset so I can keep myself moving forward. And that's how I wake up every day. That's really how I try to keep myself, you know, moving and, and, and doing things. Awesome. Well, uh, we're nearly at the 40 minute mark. Uh, <laughs> Manuela, I just thank you so much for uh, no, for, thank you. for speaking with me, for sharing your story. I mean, I know it's something that's not easy, but you know, thank you for sharing your story, and I, I encourage you to please continue sharing your story whenever possible. Um, and I'm hoping through this interview, uh, other folks are inspired to reach out to you and are inspired yes. to speak to you directly uh, on social media, and um, you know, because we need as many people willing, you know, to engage with people, give them hope, give them inspiration, give them our stories, exactly, um, to continue on. So, mm -hmm. you know, just thank you very much. I really appreciate it. No, thank you, thank you. It was really fun. Awesome.